0: Like to be curious rather than furious when somebody reacts a certain way or to be able to say, I wonder what happened to them versus thinking, man, what's wrong with them? And I think that's about changing. That's what we would call a trauma informed lens, how we look at others and how we look at ourselves. And I think that's the biggest thing, that awareness. Hey, welcome to another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast committed to bringing stories of hope and insight to those on the front lines of Christian ministry. Our desire is for all of us to see, sense, and experience God's voice through their stories. And through these stories, we may see his hand and hear his voice in our lives. The Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast is brought to you by Romans 12 Ministries, where we are wildly committed to transforming the church, one pastor, missionary, and ministry leader at a time.
1: Have you given much thought to this idea of trauma? You know, my wife and I, we got off the freeway this last week went underneath the freeway and there was a truck in front of us going to probably about 40 miles an hour, not going over the speed limit. But all of a sudden there was this car that darted out from a gas station, came across and the truck had no way to stop and they collided. This little Prius just got crunched. The truck went on to the median, there were there was car parts everywhere. We were the first ones, so we kind of dodged the car parts, moved to the side. My wife called 911 and she told me, hey get out and check and make sure everybody's okay. And it was such a traumatic event to witness the sound of it. I could see a woman in the Prius with a with the the bag out and it was just yeah, it was scary. So that traumatic event forced me kind of a fight or flight response. And as I looked in my rearview mirror and kind of looked around, people were stopping and getting out. And what I did was something not noble, but I left. Uh, We left. And it just reminded me that I don't handle trauma very well. And our guest today is somebody that is an expert when it comes to trauma. She's been trained to deal with trauma, and it's something that we all have experienced one way or the other. This is Mrs. Robin Blumenthal. Uh, She's a popular speaker on this topic She travels to churches and schools and parent groups to talk about a topic that 30 years ago, you know, we just didn't discuss. I think this will be a helpful, practical topic for many of you who are wrestling with the effects of trauma in your own life as well as those that you lead. And Robin is a trauma-informed trainer, parenting coach, speaker, and writer. She believes that When our churches, schools, and communities understand the effects of trauma, it changes how we respond and show up for others. When we respond to those around us with compassion and empathy, we help build bridges of connection and healing. Robin and her husband, Roger, they've been married for over 30 years. They have six daughters who call them mom and dad, including four biological, one adopted and one unofficially adopted, ranging in age from 17 to 35. She has her degree in child development and a master's in human resource leadership. Also, on top of all this, Robin published her first book in November of 2020. It's entitled, Where in the Zoo Are You?, Is a children's book with resources to help children talk about their emotions concerning traumatic events such as COVID-19. I am David Town, the host of the Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast. Well, Robin, thank you so much for coming in today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, trauma, I want to hear the story behind how you uh, became so passionate when it comes to this topic of trauma. Well, you know, it's interesting.
0: Certainly, I had been aware that trauma happens to people and, and had things have, that have happened to me that I would say would be traumatic, but I never understood um, what what really happens when we have experienced things that are overwhelming to us. And so, I had stepped out in faith I'm from my uh, role as a family pastor at Pantano Christian Church. I knew God was calling me to something larger, maybe something more citywide. And in that stepping out, um, part of that whole process, I had been through a 40-hour chapter training. And it was during that training with the International Fellowship of Chaplains where we talked so much about the power of presence, where we talked about how to show up for somebody and what it was like to experience grief and loss and how our brain acted in trauma. And I was fascinated by that because I realized that it would have allowed me, if I understood that, I would have done ministry differently over the course of time. So as a result of that, I started learning about trauma-informed care and uh, adverse childhood experiences, how that affects so many of us, how Prevalent it was, um, and then uh, it, God kind of, as He never wastes an experience, right? Learning about that, I I remember thinking I must be the last one on the planet to hear about this, and I've been at large churches, and the more that I am in the faith community, the more that I'm in the education community, or even the mental health community, the more I realize that this is still an early, relatively early area that we're learning about, and how trauma really uh, affects how our brain has developed, how we look at the world, the lens that we look at the world, how we interact with others. And so that has become really a passion of mine to combine that with with ministry and we're working with schools and and with anyone, really, because we all want to be there for other people. I think we have a heart for ministry, what no matter where we serve, whether it's the grocery store or, or the church or a school. We want to show up for people in a way that matters, and I think understanding trauma helps us
1: to do that. Hmm. So, So tell me, As you went through this training, did it force you to kind of look at your own life and go through that laboratory of your own life when it comes to the area of trauma in your own personal life?
0: Um, Yeah, in, in the way that it allowed me to explain some of the ways that I have grown up or developed. And I think sometimes when we understand how trauma has affected us or how big life experiences, whether it's trauma with a big T or trauma with a smaller T, or, or or the pandemic. I mean, so many things that we would consider traumatic. It helps me to have more self-compassion. It helps me to understand, oh, that's why I'm so driven, or that's why I don't take feedback well. I mean, a couple things in my life, right? Um, or that's why I trust people, or that's why I don't trust people. And it helps us when we can understand that, then we can choose differently, or we can work on choosing differently. Because sometimes we can get stuck in that shame and self judgment, and and Satan just has a heyday with, right? Is If we can live like that, then we're not going to be as effective for God because we're stuck in this shame with how we look at ourselves, why we respond something uh, like if something triggers us or activates us in a certain way. So absolutely, it caused me to, to do some of that. But more importantly, I think it allows me to be able to question that in other people, like to be curious rather than furious when somebody reacts a certain way, or to be able to say, I wonder what happened to them. Versus thinking, man, what's wrong with him? And I think that's about changing. That's what we would call a trauma-informed lens, how we look at others and how we look at ourselves. And I think that's the biggest thing, that awareness.
1: Mm-hmm. The power of empathy. I liked what you said there. I mean, that is something that I think is, is lacking, not only in the church, but in the world right now. Mm-hmm. You said you would, by knowing this, you would do ministry differently. Can you explain that, go a little further with that? Yeah, I think
0: um, as a children's pastor, um, as a family pastor, even as an outreach pastor now, um, if I understand that there is always a need driving the behavior in the people that I see, it allows me to show up a little different. Let's say I walk into a fifth grade classroom anywhere, and kids are bouncing off the wall, or little Johnny's climbing on the table. And no, if no, I no, no. fifth
1: grade <laughs> classrooms, the kids are all perfect.
0: Now, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I've been in a few. <laughs> but if you walk in and you see, and you're like, "Why is this kid out of control? What? Uh, why don't his parents?" do this, or why didn't they raise him right, or what's wrong? But if I think, what is his behavior communicating? So while I don't think I did ministry horribly, I think that if I had had a better understanding of early adversity, um, of the way the experiences shape us when I'm dealing with kids or with their parents, even just that judgment or that tone that I might use or the thoughts that I might have, like, gosh, why would you think this is okay as parents? Instead of thinking, I'm wondering what happened to them as children that makes it seem like this is their best option for parenting, giving too much or not giving enough. It, it'll Again, it's about that lens. If I understood how hard it is for people to trust others who have come through a lot of adversity, then I would maybe show up differently or help encourage them in different ways rather than just thinking, come on, the church is going to be fine. Don't you trust us? You know, the parents are, you know, the teachers, they're trustworthy people. Well, maybe they are. Or maybe you've had experiences that show that teachers have not been trustworthy in your life. So that's going to take longer. Uh, and having a, an adopted daughter, a teenager who we adopted out of foster care system, probably has taught me the most about that because her worldview and her lens and her reactions are so different than the reactions of my daughters who had a a better foundation, a safe foundation. And so that it's really been some great, she always says, I'm really good for your job, aren't I? And I'm like, well, you are. (laughs) So I don't need any more examples, but it does keep me very um, on my toes thinking about how I respond and how I show up and that there are millions of people like her who have had a lot of adversity early on.
1: But you're not saying that we excuse those behaviors away because there's traumatic things in a person's life. Correct. I mean, going back to the fifth grade example.
0: Right. It, it's not about, um, uh, let me put it this way. Many times we think about um, if I have to fire somebody, maybe I have an employee and I have to fire them. There is a way I can do that that would maintain dignity that would maintain the relationship. Now, now, I might not be able to force them to keep the relationship, but if I can show up with empathy, if I can be very present in the moment, if I can help them feel safe, even in the midst of losing their job, or think of a school principal who has to suspend a student. Many times we think we have to do all these things out of anger or frustration or draw boundaries in such a way, but the way we draw that can be very traumatizing. Or it can be very healing, even in the midst of hard things. And so I think that's what I mean by how you show up in someone's life, how I do ministry, how I respond differently to somebody, that if I understand trauma and the effects it has on the brain, and if I understand the need driving the behavior, or if the minimum, I'm just curious rather than furious, and I'm not taking it personally, then I can stay more regulated, more calm, and that's going to help you be more calm, whether I'm firing you or suspending you or giving you a ticket, any of those things. That's why I think understanding trauma and um, the power of empathy and presence helps no matter what your role in life is, because if my goal is to help you learn from whatever the thing is or help you to feel safe, then I want to connect before I correct you. And if I understand the principles of that, then it's going to be a much better relationship. It's going to be a much better outcome for you. And isn't that the goal? That I want you to grow and learn and develop or love God, whatever my goal might be. If it's presenting this better outcome, I have a lot to say in the, the foundation that I lay in that outcome with how I respond. hmm
1: You know, I find myself with other people a little bit more uh, empathetic, but when it comes to my own kids, it's just harder. Mm -hmm. Why
0: is that? Well, same thing with your own self, maybe even, right? Um, I think it's because uh, I I look at it like this with God sometimes, um, when people say, we want the best for our kids, right? Well, I certainly want the best for everybody around me, but I really want the best for my kids. And I've given them the best that I have to offer. And when they make choices, that are not in their best interest, sometimes I take it personally. Come on, you knew better, I raised you better. Or sometimes I take it as a personal affront. You're doing this just to get back at me. And what helps me in that is when I think about our relationship with God, think of that God, He knew everything about you before He created you. He knew every dream and goal and vision and all that you were had this potential. And you still make choices, I'm assuming, you're human, like the rest of us, and you make choices that are probably not what God would say were in your best interest, but He loves us anyway, and He shows up anyway, and He doesn't always save us from the outcomes of our choices, but it never changes His love. It never changes how much that He is there for us. And and so I think when we remember that, even towards ourselves, it helps us when we think about to our kids, I'm going to love my kiddos despite how hard they make their lives, in those few moments when I don't do it well, and there are many, then I, I would also say that sometimes I have to just go back and say, I'm sorry that I, I made this about me, and it's really more about you. It's really between you and God. Or this tapped into some things of me. I know I wasted experiences when I was young, and I don't want to see you waste those experiences. But my not wanting to see it isn't the same as a child not needing to go through it. Mm. You know, my wanting the best for my kids is not the same as their choosing the best for themselves. And the same thing is with ourselves. So it's about the lens that we use sometimes, right? How do, I, how do I love my kids despite what's going on? And how do I love myself even when I made the same dumb mistake for the 100 millionth
1: time? Right, right. So how would you, what, what's the working definition? I guess we probably should have started there, but the working definition of trauma.
0: I would say that a trauma is anything that overwhelms our experience to cope. Right? So what's trauma for you may not be trauma for me. Um, certainly, there's probably some things we would agree are traumatic for anyone. Maybe experiencing certain kinds of abuse would be traumatic for anyone. But we were just talking a moment ago offline about a car accident. A car accident can be traumatic for both people in the car, or maybe only the one who saw what was about to happen, or maybe the one who was only injured, and so I think when we understand trauma, it's really, certainly it's about what happened, but it's more about how it affected you. How was the event happen? and what was the outcome of that? How did it impact your life? And I think that's why it's really important to understand that I know that um, when, during the pandemic, I ended up writing a kid's book, Where in the Zoo Are You? And what caused me to write that is I was talking to people in the pandemic who, if, some from the faith community, he said, if you, if you just have enough faith, you wouldn't be afraid. And then I would talk to other people who were believers and said, our doctor said, if we go outside, we will get COVID and die. So how can I help one person and not the other? Like, how do I help them both to understand it's about empathy and it's about how they their perception is real to them? So no amount of my saying, you're safe, is going to help you feel safe if you don't feel safe, right? It's about felt safety. And so that kind of led to the book. But because I see people all the time, oh, that's nothing. You know, my childhood was worse or my outcome was worse or... But really, it's all about how our brain perceived it and how we um, perceived it, and also about the protective factors that were a part of our life during that. Did you have people during any traumatic experience that you felt you could trust? Even if it wasn't your parents or a teacher, was there someone who was there for you? That's huge, because you may have less trauma and felt like there was no one there for you, and that might impact you in a far greater way. So it's it's a both and it's about the trauma and how you experience it and perceive it and how your uh, you know brain reacts to that and also about the protective factors the amount of resilience and the encouragement of post traumatic growth the people you could trust around you and and that's kind of where those outcomes so it's not like a simple formula
1: in other words so what I heard you say was that during the pandemic you were writing a book and I was eating ice cream is what I thought. <laughs> I wish I could do that time differently. It's funny how we um, no, anyway. it was
0: from God. It was just it really came together, but but where I was at at the time in here, like, how can we have such different experiences as a result of the same pandemic? But that's true in life, right? How do we go through life, and you end up going through life and you trust the people around you, and I don't, or we go through life, and you look at the world as an unsafe place, and I look at it as a safe place. And our experiences help to shape how we predict the world around us. Mm-hmm.
1: And how much of that is just uh, the way you were born with for your personality? Um, I, I, there's certainly a, a part of that, but
0: you can't ever just like nature, nurture, hereditary or heredity versus environment. You can't really. I, I don't think there's a. Um, I don't know, a formula, maybe there's some formula, but there's not really an exact science because I think for each of us, it's a little bit different. I think in general, if you are generally a positive person and I'm generally a negative person, and then the same bad things happens to both of us, it might be worse for me because I'm generally negative and it feeds into what I was already struggling with or my personality. And you, if you're generally positive and you're like, well, it wasn't that bad, I survived it might be easier and and it's hard but that's where it comes down to if we want to really be present in someone's life and help them we have to kind of tap into that or at least be aware that there's more to this story than we know right Mm -hmm. both hereditary you know heredity and environment Mm -hmm. so
1: i am it's funny how you said that this trauma in fact going to i mean all my life i i don't even remember even talking about trauma and just in, in the last 10 years, maybe, mm-hmm. that this is being, is it because of the new research on the brain, or why are people talking about this more and more now? Well, you know, it's interesting, the Adverse, childhoods, um, adverse Childhood Experiences
0: study came, was done in the 90s. So I was flabbergasted if to feel like, oh, that was 30 years ago now, right? And yet it seems like it's only been in the last 10-ish years where it's becoming more and more known and still not known enough that the the study happened, they were asking what, the, the real question they were asking is, did things that happened to a child before the age of 18 affect their later mental and physical health? And, and as you can imagine with what we know now, we look back and say, oh, well, that seems like a no-brainer. But really when they did the study in the 90s, that wasn't something that anybody was looking at. They were thinking, oh, that happened as a past, you know, you got over that. Get over it, right? Exactly. And now they're seeing the connection between everything from suicide attempts to high cholesterol, to high blood pressure, to the use of substances, um, IV drugs. There are so many things that have a direct correlation, taking into account also the protective factors that were around someone. But the more they started to ask, then the more they started to, to do even more research. So in the, these studies it still has not trickled enough that you would think something every educator would be trained on but that is not the case that we do sometimes we have some travel nurses staying with us you know in our house we have an empty room and so sometimes we've done that and they ask a lot of times what I do and I share about this and they're like man we, we didn't learn this in nursing school and yet the more I explain the more they're like oh, that makes so much sense, as they think about a patient who comes to see them, right? Or a student in your classroom. If I teach the same way to everyone, and why does this student not respond? Is there something that happened into their their life before they came into my classroom, their interaction with school or teachers or parents or health, that makes it harder for them to listen and to learn? And if I can be aware of some of that, then I can change a little bit about how I approach them, how I talk to them, the tone of my voice, the look on my face, same thing whether I'm in the medical field, and all of that really makes a a huge difference. So it's becoming more and more the pandemic has really elevated that, um, which is probably a good thing about the pandemic if there was a good thing, but certainly that really changes and the more people who understand trauma and how it affects people and again their lens both my lens of looking at the world and their lens then we can all um i think just be more
1: compassionate people and and that really changes our world Well, it's that time that I interrupt the podcast with just a short blurb to say, first of all, thank you for your support for Romans 12 Ministries. The podcast, the Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast is one of the arms of Romans 12, and I just got back last week from a week with pastors at a getaway for a silence and solitude retreat, and that was sponsored by us Thanks to you and your generous support and partnership, not only your prayers, but also your financial support. So if that is something that you are led to do, I would encourage you to check out our website and see who we are, what we do, and how we use our funds. And you can go see that at www.romans12ministries.org. That's Romans one 2 the number 12ministries.org or you can give us a call at five two zero Let's get back to our conversation with Robin Blumenthal. So with pastors, let's just talk about ministry leaders, pastors, and their families. How are they doing with this idea of trauma? Because if you sit in your trauma, there's going to be pain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us, or most of us, try to avoid pain. And so we just ignore it. We just say, we just go turn the other way, get over it, let's move on. Yet we know that all of us, once we actually face that trauma, we sit in that pain, there's healing to that. Mm -hmm. But pastors, what is your experience with pastors and ministry families? I think that there's certainly a a group of people
0: that – Flippantly, maybe isn't quite the word, but you know, God's healed all that. That's all in the past, and absolutely, do I believe that? Oh, a hundred percent. But that doesn't always change how our brain reacts, because if we, if you knew something was going to trigger you or activate you, you wouldn't do that thing. Right. You know, when you hear people yelling and if you get sick to your stomach inside because there's an argument, maybe it's because you grew up around that as a child and your brain, um, these, the way your brain categorizes things. Oh, there's yelling. Things are unsafe. Your brain has to categorize things, right? Or you couldn't otherwise, how would you drive down the road? There's a bird. What do I do? There's a light. What do I do? There's a car. You know, your brain puts, okay, this is over here. This is over here. That's how we can get through a lot of our lives. And when we don't understand that, sometimes we just put it into a box. And we never know when that box is going to be opened, right? Because we don't know what is the thing that's going to take the lid off the box, almost like Pandora's box, so to speak. And then other times, I think we, um, if we haven't had a lot of adversity it's or don't understand that, we can respond in such a way to say, well, that was in the past. I don't know why it's still bothering you. And even if something, even if I can put something in my past and it doesn't bother me, that doesn't mean that you can necessarily do the same with something bothering you, because there's so many other factors involved with that. I think about, say, the pandemic, um, just as an example, that for many Christians, and I don't even know if I can say for in generalizing that, but if a lot of Christians are like, "Well, I trust God, and if I go back home, or, or not you know, back home, but if I go to heaven, that's not a big deal. I can do whatever." Well, that's. Certainly true in in a lot of ways, but saying that and feeling that are different things. I think about my mom who lives in California, and she believes that she's had COVID probably eight times and that every time she goes outside, someone breathes on her, she gets it. Now, I'm not there. I'm going to guess that's probably not true but the reality is she feels it's true. That's her reality. So if I keep saying, mom, I know you believe in God, just pray harder and get over it. Like that's not going to really help her to feel safer. So how do I help her feel safe? How do I approach her reality? Because my real goal with her is I want to have a relationship with my mom. I want her to know she's not alone, even if she doesn't feel safe enough to have visitors. So all of those pieces, I think as, as pastors Dealing with your past trauma and being able to even come to grips, how did the last couple years affect you? Your energy level, your um, overwhelming, you know, overwhelmness level, your compassion fatigue, um, your self-care. You know, we've all put self-care a little bit more on the back burner sometimes. And I think that um, it's easy to do that when we're in a helping profession. But we have to understand that if I don't have my anchor set, think about a boat. I see there's some boat pictures here in the office. If you don't have your anchor set, when the storm comes, you're just going to be dragged along. And I think sometimes we don't realize how important it is to set our own anchor and who or what sets that anchor for us. And how do we make sure that we are set so that I can be there when your storm comes along?
1: So let's flip the coin. I mean, this is a, a podcast you know, f- of stories of hope and we desire to refresh and restore pastors and missionaries and ministry leaders and their families. So let's talk. I mean, obviously, we're all of us are dealing with some kind of trauma in our lives. We deal with it differently, but many of us deal with it poorly because we don't deal with it at all. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's talk about self-care. How can we, those are listeners, knowing that either family members or congregants are dealing with some trauma, we see it in their behavior, what are some things that can we do that we can look for to help and have that? When you talk about the, the power of presence, the power of empathy, how can we be Jesus with, with skin on? Mm-hmm.
0: I think one thing um, that science, uh, certainly God as well, but I mean, science, there have been studies that show taking four or five deep cleansing breaths really can calm ourselves. So you can talk about whether you're praying during those breaths, where you're thinking about God, you're taking deep breaths. But just even the act of taking some deep breaths can help us to be more present in the moment. Um, I remember when I first started hearing about mindfulness, my my mind kind of went to like, you know, the Eastern religions and meditation and new age. And and I'm like, yeah, that's right. But the reality is, think about how present Jesus was in the moment, right? That he took time. To pray, he took time. I can I can see him probably sitting there and just breathing deeply, so that he can reconnect to God, that he can re-center himself in the sense of knowing, like I am I'm here in this moment. And and Peter was <laughs> denying me, or whatever's happening. And I think that that's one thing we can do at any point um, on days where life is just getting really hard, or you're listening to someone's story and it's really overwhelming. How can I do that? So, I think having that idea of what deep breaths can do, how they cleanse us, how they keep us present is certainly, and when I say an easy one, meaning something all of us can learn to do. Uh, Obviously, staying connected, you know, I think about, you know, I am the vine when Jesus says that, right? And you are the branches. How do we stay connected with Christ? What does that look like in terms of um, praying, in terms of our personal walk, in terms of retreats? That's kind of that setting your anchor. If if Christ is my anchor, then I need to make sure I have time to make sure it's still set. Because there are times where, you know, Jesus doesn't, like, untie the anchor, right? We might untie it or say, I'm going to check later. I've let out a little more line and a little more line, and I'm getting further away. So I think being able to stay connected to God is really important in that. And I also think it comes down to what fills our cup, so when we, there's things we do, um, I remember one time listening to a, uh, a speaker and, you know, is Facebook bad? Let's say we're checking Facebook. She said, well, is it, and maybe May Brene Brown might've said this, but she said, are you checking it to, to to do some mindful, mindless things in a moment? Or is, are in and that's okay if we're doing something just to relax, or do we think that's filling our cup, but it's really just wasting these hours and it's not refilling our cup? So what might fill your cup is different than what might fill my cup. So what are the things that fill our cup? So how are we being present in the moment of our own lives to say, oh, I need this night off, or I need to not make that call right now, or I need a couple hours to go for a walk so that I can show up more fully and completely in someone's life? And on the same token, I think for me, I, I tend to not always get that, That uh, formula right. And many times I will then feel guilty. I should have been a better listener when David was talking. I should have shown up better. I should have made that hospital call. I should have done whatever. And I think sometimes having that self-compassion, like I was doing the best I could, or empathy in the sense that I might say, I need to call David and say, hey, you know what, I wasn't really very present for you when you were explaining about that problem. I would like to have another chance. It had been a busy day, and when you asked if I had a few minutes, I probably should have said, could I call you tomorrow when I can be more fully present? But instead, I always think, well, that seems rude. So I'm going to take this call, even though I don't have time and my heart's not in it. And and to know that we're humans, right? We can only do the best we can do. But I want to be able to to show up and be present in your life. And sometimes that asks for a do-over or forgiveness or um, just that opportunity or asks for help. Hey, I'm not going to be a great listener right now, but let me take you to someone who I think can help you right now.
1: Well, I gotta tell you, you've been a great listener so far. Oh, so good! I mean, there was a good day for me. You get a gold star. <laughs> Ooh, I'll take it. Oh, uh, that's wonderful. So, you have a conference coming up, and I want you to to share with our listeners what what that is. Yes, we have
0: our fourth annual Reclaiming Hope Conference. It will be hosted at Pantano Christian Church, and it's put on um, in part. One of our sponsors is the Arizona Trauma-Informed Faith Community. It's Friday, November eighteenth. It's from eight to four. Um, we have speakers and breakouts, and the whole um, our theme this year is engage, encourage, equip, repeat, and it's a conference for the helper and all of us. So I have this vision. Um, we started it, our first year was the trauma-informed faith community, and we really geared towards a faith community, but we had a lot of other educators and social service people, foster parents um, coming, and I really felt like when you keep it called the faith community, it might narrow that down. So we changed it to Reclaiming Hope, because I think all of us need to find hope. And really, um, I think our, our probably our biggest audience are people- who are people of faith, but they're not necessarily in the faith community. They work in any sector but what we want to come together is learn from each other, learn what does resilience look like? How do we do active listening? What is the adverse childhood experiences? How do we help people with post-traumatic growth? How do we be an ally or an advocate for people who've gone through trauma? How do we understand substance abuse and the stigma behind it and why it's so hard to um, counteract it and what we can do to help? Because I think no matter what role you play in someone's life, you have met people who are going through abuse or who are struggling with trauma, again, whether you're a teacher or you work in the judicial system, wherever you work or serve, if you want to help others, you you are going to find people that have experienced some of this. And the more we understand, it helps us ourselves, understands ourselves better, and also helps us, again, that power of presence. I can be more present in your life, and I can help be an anchor for you when I'm anchored, when I understand how this works. So for the conference, in fact, for any of the listeners, I would love to, if you register right now, the cost is 60 um, but if you want to put in Reclaim Early, you can get the early bird price of just $45. So, um, and if that's too much, then just reach out to me or Romans 12, and we will help get you connected, because I just think this learning is so powerful, and that's why I'm so passionate about the conference we started, I had gone to a similar one in Phoenix, and I'm like, people can't be driving two and a half hours to spend a day. Like, we've got to bring that information here. So it's been um, just a great opportunity to be able to do that.
1: Great work. Great work. How could people get a hold of you? Um, you can
0: reach me, um, probably the, the best way is Blumenthal at pantano.church. Uh, That's uh, my church email, and I'll get that, or my personal email as well. I have a website, robinblumenthal.org. That's where I have my book and um, trainings that I do with schools and different organizations. Because I, my, my goal really is to mobilize people to be more present in the lives of others. And who should be more present? than people that know, you know, the author of presence, right? that people who know that Jesus is the one that created us to be whole and free. And if I want to help that in you, I have to understand what people have been through so that I can be there to help connect them to the God that ultimately offers the greatest and the only way for healing.
1: Robin, thank you so much for your involvement in this community. God is using you mightily. You have a great name, and uh, I'm just so honored that you would come in this morning.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blessing to be here. All right. Thank you for Romans 12. I should say a quick plug. You guys, so many amazing stories I could tell, but I am just so honored. Um, We've been both blessed by you and to see how you bless pastors, because you're helping to be an anchor for them as they are an anchor for others.
1: Praise God. It's been a great partnership.
0: thank you for joining us today at another episode of relate refresh and restore a podcast sponsored by romans 12 ministries for more information on romans 12 ministries visit us at romans 12 ministries.org or give us a call at 520-982-5877 may we all continue to be joyful in hope patient in affliction and faithful in prayer